welcome to the 321 Biz Development and V Sales Executive Podcast on iTunes. My name is Clarence Rick Napier, CEO 321 Biz Dev LLC, located in Sacramento County, California. 321 Biz Dev LLC brings a combination of sales systems, business development and website design to worldwide business owners of any size. Our business is people, our product is sales performance. We tell business owners exactly what they need to know and why they need to know it without any gimmicks or fluff. We know what the sales performance struggle is like because we were once there too. And our team of trainers, digital marketing specialists can help business owners meet or exceed their revenue expectations. 321 is the company to call if you or your sales team want to master the following four main sales functions: contacting, prospecting, appointment setting and closing. 321 Biz Dev services are available worldwide where the English language is spoken. We can be reached toll-free in the US and Canada at 833-321-3212 or internationally using WhatsApp at country code 1406-402-6400. We have over 147 hours of business development content and interviews with business owners from around the world. Today's podcast episode is a, is a, is an interview with attorney Rhonda Kennedy practicing primarily in Ventura County. So good afternoon Rhonda, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good and thanks for asking. So Rhonda, it's a tradition on the 321 Biz Development B Sales podcast to know a little something about our business owner guests before they talk about their their businesses and in your case your law practice. Uh just to let people know Rhonda Kennedy is also a congressional candidate in California's District 26 and uh I I believe you may have some information to talk about that at the end. Um and people who want to learn more about Rhonda uh Kennedy and her her candidate her candidacy can visit rondakennedy.com. So Rhonda, please tell our listening audience about yourself such as where you're from, what work or occupations you had before starting your law practice and things like where did you go to college? Well, I I grew up in uh in Wisconsin um in a small town just north of uh, Milwaukee it's about 2300 people so I'm a small town Wisconsin girl um <laughs> I'm from uh raised raised by my grandparents who were small business owners they owned a flower shop in uh, Milwaukee Wisconsin uh my grandparents started that flower shop they were the first black florist in uh in Wisconsin and they started that shop because my grandmother after graduating from floral design school could not find a job because uh there were there were no black shops and the white shops wouldn't hire her. So instead of giving up, um she persevered and and uh my grandfather and my grandmother opened up their own flower shop and they were in business for 50 years until nobody else wanted to take it over. So uh um you know, they retired and and closed the business. But so I I come from a, you know, a long line of, you know, determined individuals who overcome obstacles in in business and that my great grandfather was actually the first state black state assemblyman for the state of Wisconsin and he was uh passing a uh, civil rights bills um legislation back in the 40s so um I so I come up from a line of politicians and a line of of business owners and um which drove me to uh law school 
Um, before attending law school, I, I was a, a civil engineer for um, the city of Milwaukee. I was a building inspector. Uh, I was a very um, male-dominated, um, white, white male-dominated uh, career. And uh, I was one of the few black women that were that was building inspector there. I actually um, changed a lot of policies and procedures because of it and um, actually was successful in, in a lawsuit against the city of Milwaukee for sex discrimination, which changed the way that women um, work in the uh, in, in the city of Milwaukee and particularly in the Department of Building Inspection. So I, I, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to be a lawyer is to be able to uh, stand up and fight those fights for other people when they don't have the strength to do it. Because when you think about it, um, uh, Rosa Parks and uh, Brown versus the Board of Education, those people had the nerve and the um, fortitude to stand up for their rights. And because they did, there are millions and millions of people today who have those rights. And I mm -hmm. just want to wanted to be a pioneer and and actually actually do that and I, I believe that the uh, the courtrooms is the is the last battlefield we used to fight battles on the battlefield the Civil War was fought on a battlefield but I believe that that today's battles are fought in the courtroom um, which that's what drove me to law school um, I'm a I'm a wife I'm a mom of six uh, from 29 26 23 and then I have seven-year-old triplets my son is married with three kids. I have three grandkids and, and one on the way actually any day now. So um, uh, life in, in the Kennedy household is, is, is quite entertaining. I bet it is. I bet it is. And uh, thanks for that information about uh, your background as a, a civil engineer in Milwaukee and uh, your quest to become uh, an attorney to right some of the wrongs that you, you saw. So that's, that's very inspiring. My, my second question, Rhonda, is as an attorney, how did you how did your past work or business experiences prepare you to, to serve uh, the public and helping people navigate uh, the California legal system? Well, the California legal system is, is kind of a, a system in itself. Um, the California State Bar is one of the hardest bars in the country. We have our, our you know, our own bar system. Many of the states, uh, about 42 of the states have gone to the uniform bar exam, which means you can take one bar exam and be admitted into about 42 states. Um, other states have reciprocity where you can, um, uh, you could just file a, a motion for admission and be admitted if you've been in another jurisdiction. California does not have that. It's, it's, it's called like the black card, of the black American Express card of bar cards. Hmm. Um, and so when you think about how difficult it is, you think about, you know, um, somebody who's pro per, which means they're representing themselves, has to navigate the, um, the legal system. It, it's very it's quite difficult, which is one of the reasons why I actually do um, a lot of pro bono work as well. I've taken on pro bono criminal pro bono criminal cases. I just had one that finally resolved. Um, this individual had been through six, six public defenders. Not wow. one, not two, but six public defenders, and he was just getting railroaded. And mm -hmm. they were—they amended the complaint. He was looking at 26 years in prison. But there was a local organization here that knows me. They asked me if I would look at his case. I took his case. I fought with the DA's office, um, and I was uh, able to successfully finally get him a deal. He went from 26. 
26 years he was his total exposure to uh, one year in the county jail, which means he'll do six months in the county jail. And I got some of the charges, um, got them to drop some of the charges. So it's just, you know, things like that makes me feel good as being a lawyer. That's what I became a lawyer for, because had I not stepped in, he would have gone through his seventh public defender and probably would have been take, did at least um, four to eight years in prison. Um, and his, he has a young son, lives are ruined. So that's, that's probably the biggest challenge in, in California is actually getting attorneys that, that have their passion, that actually care about what happens. It's, it's, you know, it's about money. Yes, it's a business, but it's also about your, you know, um, helping um, progress the legal system and giving people justice where they normally may not not have it. Um, and then what, once you do that, you're successful because I, I've noticed that the more I give, the more I get back. So I may give a pro bono case to this client, but I'll end up getting three or four clients that are well-paying clients that balance it out. So, you know, I, I really do believe that um, we need to have more lawyers that have that mentality here in California. Gotcha. Gotcha. Hey, that's that's great. Yeah, because uh, the public defenders, I mean, they they are essentially employees. Is that, is that right? Employees of the state or the county? They are employees of the yes, they're employees of the county. Um, depends on what jurisdiction that they're. So the federal uh, criminal jurisdiction also has public defenders. So it depends on which jurisdiction they're in. However, they are they're employees of the county and they're they're underfunded. So there's no really no fault of the public defenders. They have to work with what they get. They get hundreds mm -hmm. of cases each, you know, depending on, you know, their caseload. And they have a budget. So where you go to a private attorney, um, you know, they could spend money on experts and do this and do that. But the public defender is limited on their budget. They have to get permission if they want to do an expert and get an expert witness on this. They have to get permission and get that approved. And so, um, you know, their their defense may not be um, as adequate. And so that's why it's so important right now with with justice reform, because people, you know, a lot of people say, oh, no, they committed that crime. They're they're in jail that, you know, they were convicted by a jury. But you think, well, the jurors are human. They make errors. They make mistakes. Just because you were convicted does not mean that you're guilty. And um, and that's why, you know, the Innocent Project and organizations like that is, are so important because there are so many people that are being freed from jail who just were just didn't have adequate defense because not because of their attorney was incompetent, but just because they're just underfunded. Got it. Got it. That's a great explanation. I never knew that. Uh, here, here's my uh, next question. During our pre-podcast interview, you mentioned that your law practice provides a, a broad range of legal services. Please tell our listening audience how you have brought uh, legal uh, relief in so many areas to California. You, you gave a great example with your pro bono case, but do you have any more? Uh, yes. So what I, I'm... I what's called a general practitioner and the reason why i'm a general practitioner is because i believe in practicing in in all types of areas because when you when you get one case it's not compartmentalized you know you have a you it's it, the law is global so you may be in um in a civil area but that civil area may spill over into a criminal area where you know there there's criminal action to be taken or or uh, vice versa so 
um, if you're if you're versed in different areas of law, you can utilize that to help your client because um, you know your opposing counsel may only specialize in one area and may not practice in another area. So you can get a, a tactical advantage by bringing other um, other law into it. And um, like you know, like if you're in if you're in family law, you can most family law attorneys are in family law. You can also um, file a, um, a lawsuit in civil court against your spouse for domestic violence, which sometimes can be an advantage um, when you're negotiating your, uh, you know, your settlement. Because in California, we're a community property state and uh, um, spousal support is half the time in the marriage if it's a short-term marriage. If it's a 10-year marriage, then it's lifetime support. So if you're married for five years, your spouse isn't, would, would be eligible for half the time of the marriage, so two and a half years of spousal support. But, and anything acquired before marriage is separate property. So your spouse may be left with almost nothing because maybe you acquired all your stuff before you're married. You're married five years, they get two and a half um, years of spousal support and then they're done. But a lot of these people, I've seen them, they end up on the system. They end up on welfare. They end up on Medi-Cal. And it's like, you're, but you just, you were married to a millionaire. Why are, th why are these people, you were married to an abusive millionaire and you're on public assistance. That's, that's not equity. Wow. Wow. That's something else. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's, it really, it's, it's, it's very upsetting because it, it falls on the um, on the shoulders of taxpayers to take care of somebody else's spouse. And there's a very interesting case um, that came out um, right before I had a similar case. It's called Kumar versus Kumar. So if you're any of your listeners uh, there are thinking about getting married to um, someone from another country and bringing them over doing a, you know, um, doing a visa, um, um, a spouse visa, they should um, they should think about this. If you sign a if you sign an affidavit for support, um, you are uh, you in, with the Kumar versus Kumar. It used to be, you know, just basic, you know, whatever state you're in, that uh, family law would apply, right? So if you get divorced, don't have to pay them support if you you know have a you know prenup or you said, you know, there is short term marriage, you don't have to pay them support. Well, Kumar says. That if you sign that affidavit of support and you divorce that person, um, they can get 10 years worth of support uh, regardless of what the state law says. Or if they got on public assistance, say that they got, had to get on welfare because the person wasn't supporting them after divorce, the state could come after them and collect that money. And um, there's, some, there's some exceptions if the spouse worked for you know 10 10 uh, 10 years has enough work credit for 10 years and the other spouse wasn't on assistance at all but um but it's so it changes it kind of changes the playing field at that point so um all those mail order brides and and um <laughs> uh you know uh the the, the, the fiance shows <laughs> you know the be the fiance shows they, they should they should look at kumar versus kumar before they sign that affidavit of support Wow, wow, that sounds like some very good practical advice that people can use right away. <laughs> at, le at, least yeah. start, at least start there. But here's my next Great. question. Sure. Okay, so over the last maybe five or 10 years, and now it's 2020, which type of legal cases do you see currently dominating the California court system? 
Um, <clears throat> government overreach, con law, constitutional questions, um, and uh, and government overreach. You know the validity of of laws being passed in California. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Here, it's just we have full time legislators. Okay, mm -hmm. they're they're paid about 124. I think they got a raise, so they might be up to 140 a year as a legislator. Plus, they get um, you know they get stipends. So because they work full time, I don't think we need full time legislators. We have too many laws already. So of course, mm -hmm. the legislators just sit around and pass laws because they have to justify their jobs. And and so we we have a far overreach like AB five like you know AB five was um, uh, independent contractors um, categorizing them as employees and it's like they're killing businesses um, so I I think that uh, you know that's that's the that's the the number one number one cases that are going to be in in front of the courts and um, we might see some in Supreme Court shortly. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I have a lot of uh, friends, uh, business clients, that uh, AB5 has really rocked their world, so to, so to speak. So I totally agree with that. I got about two or three more questions. Uh, my sure. next question is, what is the most interesting case you've worked on without divulging the names of your clients? Well, the most interesting one probably is a, my the, my most recent one um, by Second Amendment uh, gun case. So um, during the coronavirus, the stay-at-home orders, the lockdown here in Ventura County, um, gun stores were declared non-essential, which means they were forced to close. So mm -hmm. I had individuals that wanted to purchase firearms. One of my plaintiffs had a firearm that they had purchased, but they couldn't pick it up because the gun stores were was closed and they couldn't complete the process um, after they had already paid for their guns. So I filed a, I, I sent a demand letter to the county. County's like, talk to county council. He's like, nope, gun stores aren't essential. They don't need, you know, they don't need guns. I mean, who wants to go buy a gun during coronavirus? It's absolutely ridiculous. So I filed a federal lawsuit um, and um, we ended up um, getting the gun stores back open. I. Um, um, after I filed it, there was other gun rights organizations that, that came aboard. I worked with the uh, Policy Firearms Coalition um, and uh, the Second Amendment Foundation that are that um, currently came on as co-counsel for the case. And that's that's uh, a precedenting law precedenting case, setting case, because this is a question that has not been answered before. A lot of questions are being um, answered in the courts due to coronavirus. Like, the government overreach because the Constitution, if there is an enumerated right like the Second Amendment, First Amendment, there's enumerated rights in the in the Constitution, there is a standard of review. And there's strict <clears throat> scrutiny is the highest standard of review, which means there has to be a compelling government interest, which give them that, that's a compelling government interest. Um, and they have to do the, the least um, the least restrictive manner in achieving that that government interest well closing the gun stores completely is not achieving that government interest you know it's 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 an overreach and it is essentially denying the citizens the right to have firearms because if you don't own a gun you can't buy one and you can't go to nevada and buy one which who had their gun stores open because you have to the only way you could buy a gun out of state 
is you have to have your gun shipped from that state to a license uh, at FLL, a licensed federal firearms dealer. So you can buy one. They had a travel, basically had a travel ban in their stay-at-home orders for Ventura County. It said that you can only leave the county for essential purposes. Well, buying a gun was not an essential purpose. So they, so essentially, by having all these restrictions, it was it was equivalent to a ban. And so that case is ongoing. They opened the gun stores, but there are still damages that you know people have um, acquired. So um, we may see this um, go to the Supreme Court and. Um, there's other other jurisdictions, um, other districts that did uh, find that um, it was overburdensome and struck down the closing of gun stores. Our county gave in before we two days before we got to our preliminary injunction hearing. They 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 caved in. So this is this is something that you know you should keep an eye on that one. That one in the First Amendment with closing the churches. That one too. The courts um, said that that was too restrictive as well, and churches were allowed to open. Yeah, I tell you what, yeah, closing the churches. And so what you're saying is that if you lived in Ventura County, they said that you could not leave the county? The, in their orders, they said that you could not leave the county. Now, what I believe you can leave, the, they interstate, interstate, except for interstate commerce, which interstate commerce is interstate, not intrastate. Mm-hmm. So what I believe is that was overlooked by the uh by the 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 health department and county council who wrote the the stay-at-home orders and because once i pointed it out miraculously it kind of changed but when you (laughs) read it you know when you read it and you interpret it it's like you can't and even if you read it and you interpret it that you can't but they say no you can if it's if it's vague and ambiguous it's void anyway so and it's like if you if you, if lawyers can't read it and figure it out and say, well, do they are they saying you can or can they say you can? How is the everyday you know average citizen going to be able to interpret this this law and say, okay, I'm violating? And you were if you violated it, you got it was a thousand dollar fine. It was a misdemeanor, so it was thousand dollars fine or up to a year in jail. So it's you know that and this is this is what you know what governments do you know, government entities do um, until someone challenges it. And so I challenged it and gun stores are open and uh, gun owners here, 330,000 gun owners in Ventura County were very happy and very grateful that I, I stepped forward and did that case pro bono. Awesome. Awesome. Did you say 330,000? There are 330,000 gun owners in Ventura County. Wow. What a great number to remember. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I got one or two more questions. What's on the horizon for attorney Rhonda Kennedy? And so what do you see yourself doing in the next two years, five years? Well, uh, next two to five years, uh, getting ready to do my second term in Congress and um, making sure that I'm, I'm passing legislation that helps the entire country. Uh, focusing on um, the legalities and the language and the laws to make sure that they are constitutionally correct, making sure that they're not overbroad and burdensome on the citizens, um, and maintaining and and um, adhering to the Constitution. I'm I'm a constitutionalist, and um, I like to take that that basic 
you know, constitutional knowledge and love of the Constitution back to legislation, back to Congress, because that's the way it was in the beginning. It was that's why the Constitution was was formed, was to establish our government. And we're and we should follow it besides of our personal feelings. What my personal feelings are, are my personal feelings. But what rules me is the Constitution. If it goes against my personal my my personal beliefs, the Constitution trumps it. Everyone else's rights trumps my feelings. That's exactly it. That's exactly correct. I appreciate that. So, um, what's in the, what's what's the best way for people to contact you if they have a legal matter to discuss? Um, they could contact me at, at my office. Uh, they can, my website is lorbk.com. That's lorbk.com, and all my contact information is on there. Um, I'm, I am looking for, you know, interesting con law cases. Um, and uh, so one, one of the things I, I, I would like to do is I, I'd like to go after uh, SAG and AFTRA. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'd like to go after SAG and AFTRA, AFTRA for, you know, for being forced to be in their union. Wow, I think you would get a lot of um, clients <laughs> in, in, in that in that in that area, <laughs> big time. So, well, anyway, uh, do you have any closing comments before we end the, the interview? Um, no, I just I, I would just like to say if you if you're in Ventura County or you're anywhere else in the country and um, you want a constitutionalist, you know, in Congress. Um, one that's going to fight for you like I do my clients, you know, visit my campaign website at um, RhondaKennedy.com. That's Rhonda with no H, Kennedy.com. And um, also uh, pick up the Constitution and, um, and read it. Um, go on to the webs, go on, to, uh, on, on the Internet and, and just Google Supreme Court cases and listen. There is there's a site. Um, that you can listen to going all the way back to when technology first started. You can listen to the oral arguments. You can listen to oral arguments of Brown versus the Board of Education and listen to some of those landmark cases and, and get familiar with the country's not just history, but the country's legal history, because um, that's that's going to be our last line of defense is the Constitution is our, our protector and our defender. And we should every American should know it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you, Attorney Rhonda Kennedy in Ventura County, California, for taking time out of your very busy schedule and family life to speak with our audience today. And I also want to say good luck on your congressional campaign. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. So if you are a white collar small business owner and this podcast episode addresses a concern or situation that you're going through right now, please do not hesitate to call me at 833-321-3212 or internationally using WhatsApp at country code 1-406-402-6400. The CF321BizDev LLC can help you find a winning solution. We recommend small business owners looking for solutions. Visit our website at 321bizdev.com slash services to complete a questionnaire to begin the consultative process. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode and interview with Rhonda Kennedy, attorney in Ventura County, Make it a great day.